guys. Welcome to another episode of I'm Not Fine. This week's episode is all about how society and the medical community does discriminate against eating disorders, even though eating disorders don't discriminate against who they affect. Yeah, I think it's a really important one to touch on, um, especially after the year that was. Yes, Um, definitely. Yeah, and I think in terms of looking at it from a societal perspective and how we have noticed it in our own journeys but also um through uh information we get from social media and through other people that we've talked to um we definitely can see a pattern of society um seeing eating disorders as one type people seem to have an idea in their mind of what it means to be suffering from an eating disorder yeah and it's just one person like one this like archetypal like yeah um this yeah this image of a skeleton which much. is in the minority absolutely yeah disorders. especially given that binge eating disorders are the number one yeah eating disorder in australia and yeah. people seem to think that restrictive eating disorder archetype is the only type absolutely and i think it's um as we pointed out in the last episode in terms of how We've had very different trajectories. Um, we both do have restrictive eating disorders, but we know that there's so much more to this. And this is what this episode is really for, because um, for the most part, um, for me and for you, I think the most part, our experience in treatment has been quite good. Um, and in terms of the medical industry i haven't faced a huge amount of discrimination so there's a privilege to that there definitely is a privilege to having the eating disorder type that people think of when they think of eating disorders yeah um but i think more and more this dialogue needs to be had and i think um in terms of i think i said a couple of weeks ago um bmi is bullshit absolutely that was quickly said after we decided to not swear on this show sorry meg we tried we tried (laughs) gold star so this is where bmi will come in again as part of the conversation um and how it is well inaccurate as hell especially for what is trying to do in modern day yeah in terms of um in terms of categorizing people deter- and determining who is eligible for what kind of treatment exactly which is utter bullshit because it's not just a physical illness no it's not um so yeah that's a broad overview of what we're talking about today but first off what do you think meg when somebody in society says the word eating disorder what do you think they're thinking i think that they're thinking of young white female who is skeletal yeah so like a teenager who might have i don't know a tube in their nose yeah. or something like that very um stereotypical very stereotypical but we know there is so much more to it than that and it's not just well it's a mental illness so it's not an illness that manifests physically no anything any physical changes are a side effect of the bigger picture absolutely and i think that we've both experienced how you can be um more mentally unwell at any way absolutely you can be physically unwell despite 
weight or because of weight, there's not a direct correlation to any of that because bodies are so complicated and the mind is so complicated and there's this yeah. homeostasis that changes. So you cannot, um, you can sometimes not see illness and sometimes you can. Um, but I think the big issue here is how there seems to be this very polarizing view that you're either sick or you're not exactly. based on your appearance. Which is like so damaging. It's really invalidating to people who maybe are in a bigger body or even just don't get to an underweight BMI, yeah. which as annoying as it is, that's a big classification in eating disorder treatment. Yeah. Um, and so it is really invalidating when some people don't get the help that they need or feel like they're not deserving of the help that they need yeah. just because they don't look a certain way yeah. or weigh X amount of kilos. And there's almost this sense of needing to get sicker in order to get better. Exactly. And that's that's a an eating disorder cognition from way back, but the fact that the social idea of eating disorders perpetuates that even more. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's really it's, – it's such a tough paradox, I think. Um, and I think, yeah, it really does prolong suffering because if you don't think you're – thin enough or if you're embarrassed to go to your GP to get that mental health care plan because you need it but you don't feel like you look like you need it. It's almost like you can convince yourself, as we touched on in the last episode, you can convince yourself that you don't have an eating disorder because you don't look how society says eating disorders look. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I guess as we touched on just earlier about how binge eating disorder is the most common in Australia, what are some other misconceptions that you've come across? um misconceptions about eating disorders i think the biggest one is that people don't want to eat they don't like food yeah and they're just yeah it's that they hate all food they hate eating when really it's not so much a well for me at least it wasn't so much a hatred of food as you get scared of eating food terrified but it's not that you don't like food that you don't think about food no that it's quite the opposite yeah when when you're like at a nutritional deficit all you think about is food and you're just planning what you're going to eat next or looking at food being like god i wish i could eat that but i can't eat that so i think a big part of your day is thinking about food absolutely and that's why um it's incredibly stupid that people who have say binge eating disorder for example are prescribed restriction yeah as a way to counteract it when really that just exacerbates the whole process it just makes can change you from one eating disorder subtype to another eating disorder subtype basically but also when you restrict you think about food more so if you've got a binge eating disorder and you've restricted you're likely you're likely to binge and then you just making the side effects more prominent definitely which is so unhelpful like no one can recover like that no and I think um, we have come a long way in the – I say we, like I'm a part of the medical community. <laughs> I'm not a part of the medical community apart from, like, you know, that one time I watched too much Grey's Anatomy and thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> but the medical community has come a long way. Definitely. With eating disorder understanding and treatment. And I think that can be seen, say, when you look at the DSM and how they've changed certain yeah. parts. Yes. Um, I think there still is – quite a conservative approach well the fact that there's a diagnosis of atypical anorexia is like 
a big flashing sign that yeah. there's still stigma and prejudice a little bit yeah. within the, the medical community in terms of diagnosing and treating yes. eating disorders. And it's sort of, yeah, atypical anorexia is pretty much just anorexia with weight stigma on the side. Like yeah. it's, it's not a whole different thing. It's just that people, I think, like we, we do obviously have to understand that there's diagnostic criteria to um, triage and all of that, but it really does make it harder for people who have a different physical presentation with the same yeah. mental struggle and the same like behavioural issues. Especially because some people when they restrict, their body doesn't, like they don't lose weight, they don't get into a smaller body, they actually can sometimes end up in a bigger body because their body just holds on to what little nutrients they are giving themselves. Yeah. And no matter, like some people physiologically aren't going to end up in a smaller body. Exactly. Which is really then damaging to be told, oh, you're not this illness, so you don't need the exact same treatment yeah. when you've really got the same symptoms mentally. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know my own, um, I'm going to say that word again, Jenny. Um, I have, yeah, been in a range of weights, um, across it, but sometimes I'd be at a higher weight with more medical instability than I was at a lower weight. Um, and it's very confusing. So confusing. It really messes with your head because your eating disorder holds onto the weight and it says like, I'm not as skinny as I have been, I've been at a lower weight than this yeah. before. So why am I having all these physical side effects now? Exactly. Um, I guess it always comes back to how anybody can have an eating disorder and anybody's body can be affected by it. So I guess that kind of brings us to the medical stigma and misconceptions. And a big part of that is comments being made by medical professionals towards you in a treatment setting yeah I think um if you've ever been in a treatment program for an eating disorder or even just um a medical professional yeah, yeah outpatient appointments things are going to be said definitely um and even though as we just said like the medical industry has come a long way um more needs to be done and I think some of that work that needs to be done could perhaps be in this area of um, thinking before you speak. Definitely thinking before Just you speak. Being informed. Um, so I have had some interesting comments across the years and probably the older I've got, the easier it is to laugh at them. Yes. Um, but when you're really unwell or younger and possibly more vulnerable it's really hard to think of those comments as anything but fact yeah and you exactly. really take them personally and it can be quite detrimental absolutely um and it's not even age i think it's also it is age but it's also experience in that setting definitely um because yeah this sort of stuff can hit hard at any age but i think the more you hear it, the less sensitive you are to it, which is yeah. probably concerning. <laughs> um, so when I was oh, back in the day, I think I was in a paediatric hospital admission, which 
involved very little psych support, um, yeah. which is understandable because it is a hard level of care to support when you're definitely that young. But I had um, a nurse who was meal supervising. I was about to say meal prep, and that's a whole other <laughs> thing. <laughs> With a protein powder. No. Um, yes. She was supervising a meal. Yeah. Uh, we finished that meal and she collected the rubbish. It was, I think it was probably like an afternoon tea. So everyone had a fruit and nut bag or something. Yeah, typical. Um, and she said, right, I am going to go look after some real patients now. Oh, um, what is that? I mean, you guys were in admitted into the hospital. Yes. Therefore makes you patients. Exactly. And I don't know what qualified real or not. I think it's because this woman... Um, because you were mentally ill and not dying. Yeah. Also, I think it was that she thought we'd put ourselves there. Like it was so, a choice that exactly. you weren't eating on the outside. So exactly. You, you really wanted to get into hospital so that you could eat some <laughs> delicious hospital food. Absolutely. That's, yeah. I think she thought it was a choice so that we didn't have the same right to her um, care. Yeah, to her care and to her empathy. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I guess that happens a lot when people place physical illness against mental illness. Definitely. Um, and especially that level of choice. Yeah. Even though, you, I mean, you you do have people saying that to people who have addiction, that it's their choice, but it is an addiction. It's, yeah, it's Eating an addiction. Disorders, it's physiological. Exactly. Your body and brain are connected and they're influenced by an eating disorder and you end up where you do. I feel like there's definitely, don't get me wrong, there's 100% that stigma towards all mental illness to yeah. a certain degree. But I feel like eating disorders, because of the societal picture of them, like yeah. you sometimes get that stigma from like psych trained nurses that don't usually work with eating disorders. Yeah. Because Emma and I met on a eating disorder ward in a psychiatric hospital and you'd often get nurses that didn't usually work on the eating disorder ward that kind of shared a similar vibe whereas maybe they were thinking like your eating your illness is not as severe as some of the other patients that they would usually see yeah because yeah they thought we were all just spoiled and needed to just be told to buck up basically yeah absolutely and I think in that same strain um a regular staff in psych wards do tend to ask some pretty funny questions they do there's sometimes no filter which when you're doing well or you can look back on it in hindsight it's it's hilarious hilarious. but god at the time it can be so damaging and just you just like in disbelief at Mm. some of the comments they say and they're always informed by this idea that you have to have the eating disorder that looks a certain way and yeah. acts a certain way. Um, yeah, I, I think I've been very lucky that I haven't got any particular comments about my weight or shape yeah. from nursing stuff, but I notice I've heard horror stories of people being told that they don't look like they need to be on that ward. Or they look so pretty. And that sort of brings it back to the idea that it's all about vanity. Yes, and um, that people with eating disorders especially restrictive eating disorders just want to be skinny yeah which it's not about that at all as a lot of our listeners would understand absolutely I think um with what was I going to say 
Oh, I don't think my brain's working today. That's okay. Anyway, it's Monday. It is Monday. Lucky us. Um, and it's hot. It and is. You know how I get when I get yes. hot. I just things just slow down, um, which is a good thing. We're in Melbourne, <laughs> but um, yes, I do remember how some staff not being discriminatory, not being rude, but sort of looked at eating disorders as if they were an open book on how to lose weight and how yeah. to diet. Um, it's kind of like a free weight loss program. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, you go in there, you expect to have um, really scintillating conversations about recovery and instead you get asked, so what did you do? Like exercise. Yeah. Do you have any tips? That's my favourite. Do you have any tips? Yes. Yes, I'm in hospital for this. <laughs> so I'm going to give you t- You wouldn't ask a cancer patient how they got into hospital. No. And it's like... No, I don't have tips on how to be healthy because I'm not healthy. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest misconception is that if you're in a smaller body, you're healthy. Oh, yeah. God, that's <clears throat> infuriating. So infuriating. And we will touch on that so soon. BMI. Um, I know you have had some comments, perhaps not always about your eating disorder, but other mental health issues Definitely. that show that there's this idea of a mental health issue that is not actually in reality yes I had a really good um I say good very sarcastically (laughs) interaction with a student nurse which is hard they're so hard they're learning exactly and they don't get much psych experience no so So you do have to be nice exactly and and understanding but there's a line yeah there is a line and luckily this was the day before my discharge and I was in a much better place mentally and I was able to give constructive feedback to the actual nurses so that they could pass on to the student yes but it was important yes I didn't just harbor this and now (laughs) save it up for a podcast (laughs) no here we are um Looking back on it now, I do think it's very funny. But at the time, it was very damaging. And to someone who was more unwell than me, it could have been very bad. But I had a student nurse who was just asking me about my admission and what had brought me there, which that in itself could be, it could be, it could go one of two ways. It could be benign or it could be kind kind of damaging yeah um so she was just chatting to me about my illness and then she wanted to know if I had a job if I had family if I was studying just about my life which is kind of nice and then she it was during the year of COVID it was as Melbourne was going into stage four lockdown nobody was having a great time (laughs) no one was thriving (laughs) um but she kind of turned to me and was like you know you've got a job you've got family you're working you've got a boyfriend you've got friends I'm an international student and I'm a single mom and it's really hard for me and why are you complaining you don't need to be here and that was like I've I don't know it was really it kind of took me by surprise because I didn't expect to get those sort of comments from anyone anyone yeah but especially like a medical well medical professional a student working to that and also in a safe place like you're in exactly I was in the psych hospital sorry Um, sorry again what is what is my life right (laughs) I was in the psych hospital I was there to be healing yeah 
I needed help. I didn't need to be told that I had nothing to complain about no. and that my life was good compared to hers. Yeah, because everyone, like, suffering is relative, but there's no there's no hierarchy, there's no, like, you know, first place winner. No. Everyone's going to be like, oh, they had the hardest life or she was the most depressed. Yeah. Any it's of not that. a competition. No. Um, yeah, that must have. I know, like, for me, and I know for you, because we do have that similar temperament, um, <laughs> that it makes you feel really guilty. I felt like I was taking up a bed from someone. Yes. I was taking up the time of the nursing staff. And like, you might have almost offered the student nurse yeah. the bed, being like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I would have been like, you clearly need this more than I do. <laughs> Let me go get my doctor. But, yeah, I know I say that in jest, but... It was, yeah, it was, really hard. it was, it was hard. I just felt like I did, really didn't need to be there and that I had taken time off work for no reason and everyone thought that, you know, I didn't need to be there and that yeah. I was wasting time, which wasn't the case no. at all. But it's that classic imposter syndrome, yes. which you hear in your head, but to have it reinforced by someone yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. To be basically told that there was nothing wrong with me Yeah, as I was trying to convince myself that I was deserving of help. It was really hard. Absolutely. I'm, I, I do remember that day and I think you, um, you addressed it and you worked on it really well. It showed your level of maturity because <laughs> I know you're throwing a pillow at her head. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's one very big and pertinent example of how these misconceptions can come in from society but also yeah. from people who are learning how to help exactly others. and that's part of the the biggest reason why i went straight to the nursing staff and told them what happened was because i wanted her to learn from what she'd done and not do it to someone else not, exactly not do it to someone else to maybe even i don't know if it came up in conversation to try and get the message across to other nursing staff yeah. other students and stuff yeah that it's not okay to talk to patients like that because you wouldn't say that to someone with a broken leg you wouldn't if no. they were in hospital you wouldn't say oh well I know someone whose leg is more broken than yours exactly so, oh yours is a green stick this one has like three fractures in one leg like, yeah you're not worth it exactly yeah so yeah the stigma towards mental illness and eating disorders in hospitals in the medical community is frightening because it's very harmful. Yeah, so harmful. And especially um, when, like, you go to outpatient services. And I guess the good thing about being in hospital at that point is that you could go to somebody else. Exactly. And talk about it. But people who go to GP appointments, who yeah. go to new psychiatrist appointments, old psychiatrists, anyone, and something is said, you have to go home. You have to go you out into the real world. In it. Yeah. yeah, and your eating disorder just latches onto anything. Yeah. Like it's such an opportunistic little thing. Like I touched on it in the last episode but about the GP who said that she would be happy if I stayed at the BMI that I was and she told me what my BMI was and my eating disorder was held on to that number yeah. for three, four years. Put it on a pedestal yeah. as the number. Exactly, and I knew what my weight was at that BMI and I knew what weight range I could be in to stay in that BMI bracket and I would do anything that I could to stay in that bracket which and I didn't have anyone that I could talk to her talk about with that because she was a G, my GP and like I 
there was no nursing staff or no. supervisor to say, and hey, that's not okay. And I was hardly going to bring it up in another appointment also. I wasn't going to go to my psychologist and be like, guess what? My GP said this. Yeah. And my psychologist would have debunked it immediately. But my Your eating disorder wouldn't let exactly. me. Exactly. Your eating disorder is not going to let you do something no. that's going to weaken its hold. Exactly. Um, it was like, yay, we've got more fuel. Let's, let's hold on to that forever. It. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really nice segue talking about BMI into our discussion. We hate BMI. BMI. (laughs) BMI, um, Well, a little little history lesson maybe into BMI. Um, I mean, anyone with an eating disorder will be very familiar with BMI. Most people without an eating disorder will be familiar to an extent. I think, Um, yeah, if you were growing up, in the the 90s or the noughties where hopefully it hasn't infiltrated into like these current day schooling but you know you may have one day been asked to calculate your bmi i specifically remember in year seven there was a healthy happy something committee at my primary school and i remember one morning they had out a bunch of scales and weighed any student and made them calculate their BMI, which is complete rubbish because they we were all under 18. We yeah. were primary school students. Yeah. And you didn't even know your BMI. I remember one girl who was the grade below me, she calculated her BMI next to her friend calculating her BMI. And this one girl has came up as overweight and she was so embarrassed. She nearly cried and she didn't want to tell her friends her BMI. And all her friends were prepubescent. 11-year-olds yeah, and their BMI showed them as underweight or healthy and so they had no issues telling her. Yeah. And this girl was so embarrassed. And I remember that was probably the very first time in my life that I was like, this is not okay. No. And I didn't even really get it at that stage. Like I was also 11, so I didn't. But you knew that there was this sort of. There was a a stigma attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. Where is your number bigger than someone else's number, then you must be wrong. Exactly. Um. Sorry, random little segue. No, not random at all. It's very applicable. Um, And it sort of shows, yeah, it sort of shows that BMI was so commonplace back then. And is now. Yeah. Um, But I guess BMI originally was known as the QI. I say QI instead of the full name of the person because I don't know how to pronounce it properly and I didn't want to mess (laughs) that up. But we um, you. thank you so much. You know me, perfectionist from way back. <laughs> um, so the QI was an index that was used in the 1800s um, and it was to measure population health. Yeah. Population as a whole, not single no. person. Heavy emphasis on population. Yes. Um, and it was also... It, it, it was also used in eugenics, which I think straight out shows that it's kind of a bad idea yeah. to use it in any other form because eugenics ain't great. So I actually, yeah, I should probably say that eugenics is the belief in the ability to improve human qualities um, through controlling reproductive rates. So basically selective breeding for humans. Yes. That's based what BMI on... was developed for. Yeah, which sounds like a great idea. I mean, that didn't really take off, so it should stand <laughs> to reason that BMI doesn't take off, but it, unfortunately yeah. it did. It did. So QI became BMI, um, but QI was originally made by the guy, 
Cute with his name starting with Q that I'm not going to say because um, I don't want to butcher it. Um, and he was a doctor of mathematics, aka a statistician, aka not someone who knew anything about healthy. And he actually he didn't want it to be applied to anything no. but populations. Um, Which yeah, it should come with that disclaimer, but of course it doesn't. It does diet culture. Oh yeah, diet culture has run with it. Um, yes, so. After old mate mathematics did the thing, um, a researcher by the name of Ansel Keys. So I don't know whether you've heard about him before, but he did, I believe, a little fun fact for everyone out there. Um, he was a part of the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Oh, yes, that really fun experiment. Yes, where it, it shows some great things about how the human body and brain is affected by starvation so it was a good um outcome but it was a brutal experiment it was it was and i think it damaged a lot of men um so keys decided to apply this very broad tool so it was something that was used for populations um to the far more nuanced subject of the human body Yes. And this was in 1972. So it wasn't in the early 2000s where we had more technology and more knowledge and all of that. It was a while ago. And the fact that it's still very much in place mm. is terrifying. It is because it was outdated in 1972, let alone now. Yes. Almost 50 years later. Exactly. It's just essentially damaging. And I know of it used in the eating disorder world where yeah. sometimes you have to meet a certain BMI to get into treatment or you have to be below a certain BMI to get into treatment either way. But it is also used in the medical world just in general, which yeah. I think it's not an indicator of health, but everyone no. holds it on this pedestal that it is like it's the only factor that can show yeah. if someone's healthy or not. When really it's a factor that people can manipulate for their own fat phobic ideals or for I guess it is it is used of, as you said to sort of define who can come in and out of treatment and there is some like there's some validity in that in terms of there is stability. Um it shouldn't be the defining feature or the only feature. Like medical stability and instability as we've said can happen at any size. Exactly. So it shouldn't be, oh, well, you're medically unstable, but your BMI is fine. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess when it goes to the other end, um, there's a lot of factors as well. Like if you're under a BMI and you're medically, there are lots of things that can go yeah. wrong. Um, but it is important also to note that um, in terms of health, it is actually the body is far more comfortable at an overweight BMI. Definitely. Than, than it, it is, is an underweight, underweight. Um, that's yeah which says a lot because people saying that an overweight BMI I don't even remember the range of neither do anymore I. but I've, people saying an overweight BMI is unhealthy unhealthy is completely it's ridiculous wrong. and I think there will always be something in society and in the world at this time that will connect to BMI and glorify definitely it. last year 2020 it was that people who are in a bigger body are more susceptible to corona that's not the case no but the medical in, well parts of the medical industry like to grab onto this and it's profitable it is profitable BMI cells diet talk cells exactly and everybody BMI is 
understood enough and simple enough that you can say yeah it's it's just a number yeah anybody can understand that i don't know i'm just using arbitrary numbers but anyone can understand that 25 is bigger than 24 and so if someone says 24 is the last good number yeah but the issue is that overnight a while ago was it early 2000s the index was changed yeah overnight so the um the range became narrow of narrower of healthy bmi which the fact that it could just be changed overnight and people people were suddenly overweight without changing anything Anything about themselves it shows how arbitrary yes because that didn't mean that you suddenly overnight went from healthy to unhealthy no not at all i think it's the most damaging bullshit (laughs) stupid measure it is and you've done an engineering degree so you know a lot of (laughs) stupid numbers out there yes um i i knew a lot of them in first year uni maths so i i I failed um but yeah bmi is certainly the front runner of stupid numbers and it is a big way that eating disorders can be discriminated against by society and and the medical the medical community yeah um and as we said before like we've both been at various weights various bmis various levels of health and there's um, no correlation there's no correlation exactly you your individual body cannot be placed up against a unit of measurement because everyone is different and homeostasis occurs differently in every single body exactly um so we think we need to ban the bmi yes i'm all for banning the bmi yeah we should start a hashtag yes um (laughs) that would be great (laughs) But yeah, no, I think that I think it's time to stop giving it the power, power that it yeah. has. Similar to when people talk about giving the number on scales power. But yeah. when you give BMI power, it suddenly becomes something that it's not. Yeah. It's just an arbitrary number it at is. the end of the day. And if you're placing your whole worth around BMI, that's when it becomes really dangerous and damaging and that's when it needs to be addressed and if you don't find a doctor or a psychologist or someone who wants to address it then keep going till you find one because yes it's not it's not what your worth is and it's not an important measure of who you are as a person not at all you're so great at like this segues into future content because in a few weeks time after we do our January wrap up. Which I'm um, excited for. So oh, we're going we're gonna, to yeah, enjoy that. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about how to go about treatment and what your rights are. Yes. And as you were saying, if you come across a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a GP that isn't serving you and your recovery and is perhaps serving your eating disorder, you have every right to change. Yep. Definitely. But that's a future podcast. It is. I just like, you know, like putting little breadcrumbs in. Um, Um, So as always, if this has brought up anything for you, there are helplines, chats, online chats, phone services with EDV, Lifeline, Butterfly Foundation. Uh, Queensland. Eating Disorders Queensland. Yeah. Yeah, I was chucking that in because you're from Queensland. There's help available out there. Yeah. Um, Definitely. No matter what time of day you're listening to this podcast. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Do reach out. um, And we shall chat to you next time. See ya.